0: Hey, y'all, and welcome to the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. This is Bud Elliott of espionation.com, also of Nation. You can find me on Twitter at SBNRecruiting. Typically, we start the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast by talking about some of the commitments of the last week. However, there were very few uh, commitments of note over the past week. A lot of kids are right now simply playing their high school season. Not a lot of great home games have been played to have kids visit, and many of the kids who are not yet committed are looking to basically put off their commitment until after their senior season of high school or perhaps even until National sign day in February. So we're going to skip over that portion today, so I don't want to waste your time, and start on, on a really important topic here. And that is uh, LSU decided to fire Les Miles after the Tigers dropped yet another game where they, let's face it, probably should not have, uh, have lost and Auburn beat them. LSU failed to complete a comeback and lost to Auburn, despite the fact that Auburn really didn't look very good either. Uh, inability to develop a quarterback and yet another season ultimately doomed Les Miles. I do have some fun stats to look at here first before we start talking about the recruiting for the Tigers. Les Miles at LSU started out 75 and 17 in his first 92 games. But he finished 39-17 and in this final 56. That's a pretty huge uh, drop-off. I mean, that's 36 fewer wins against 17 losses in in the secondary stretch. And that stretch is essentially the Alabama loss in the national title game through the Auburn loss. And too often the losses were, were just very similar. Not enough offense, incompetence at the quarterback position, not managing the clock correctly, not managing situations correctly down the stretch, depending a little bit too much just on talent to win games. Which of course, look, this is an LSU, or this is a recruiting podcast, so we do talk about talent a lot and put a lot of stock in the fact that talent is a very much a deciding factor in college football. But but you do need coaching as well, and, and I, I think Les Miles did a great job at LSU overall, but the latter third of his tenure was not anywhere near as good and ultimately it ended up costing him his job. Um, I think this is the right move for LSU. It's a move that they probably should have made last year had they not so horribly botched the situation with uh, kind of floating the trial balloon out there to see how the fan base and how some of the, the money folks would, would handle having to buy out Les Miles and, and how that it, – it was just an ugly situation last year. And to set up something where everybody knew Miles would probably be fired if he didn't beat, beat A&M – In that final regular season game, just wasn't a very, very well run coach firing last year. And ultimately, Miles ended up keeping his job. But it did put LSU in another year behind the eight ball. Um, From a recruiting perspective, did LSU have enough talent to win? Yes, absolutely. LSU signed more four and five star recruits over the last four years than everybody except for Alabama and Ohio State. On a percentage basis, USC did sign more as well. However, USC didn't sign nearly as many, uh, and I I do feel like when talking about USC, the aggregate number is more important because USC still had some sanctions baked in to that four-year rolling average. That's just way too many losses. If you have 67 four- and five-star recruits signed in the last four years, you cannot lose 17 out of your your last 56 games. And, And certainly... Part of that is, is a bit of a Nick Saban problem, as many in the media have correctly identified. He lost his last five games against Nick Saban. But take out the games against Nick Saban. Les Miles was just 24-9 and in his last SEC games, not including Alabama. 24-14 and in his last 38 SEC games. That means you're oftentimes, probably way too often, losing to teams who you out-recruit. LSU recruits better than Ole Miss and Arkansas and Auburn and Florida and Texas A&M and Tennessee and Georgia. It's the second-best recruiting school in that conference right now. And yet, look, the, the margin may not be enormous over some of the schools that I mentioned, but far too often LSU was being upset, while rarely springing upsets itself. That's just not a great combination, not for a school that invests a whole lot of money in football, uh, a lot of people have said things like, hey, LSU doesn't appreciate Les Miles, and a lot of schools would kill for the results that Les Miles produced at LSU. Sure, fine. But a lot of schools are not LSU, and they don't have reason to expect more. LSU should reasonably expect more than what it got in the last four years from Les Miles. That's just, just fact. They, they didn't get enough, and so he's out of a job. So, LSU currently has a top-five recruiting class nationally, pretty much wherever you look. I'll be using the 24-7 sports composite in this uh, podcast for reference. But looking at this, they've got a great class already put together, a a, a great class. Jacoby Stevens, who's probably the most athletic safety in the country. He's out of Tennessee, but I know he's a a Louisiana native. Tyler Shelvin is is a true nose guard who – 370-something pounds, is both overweight but yet still really athletic for that size. So as long as he continues to trim down a little bit, could be a real impact college player. Austin Dekoulis out of Texas is really a road grader at offensive tackle. I think he could also slide into guard. Um, you know, Jamon Osman is a, a big-bodied receiver who has a knack for making tough catches. He's at the IMG Academy, originally from, um, I believe, Texas. Grant Delpit, another safety, committed to LSU. Kerry Vincent out of Texas, another corner, committed to LSU. They even have two quarterbacks in this class, something that they've really, really failed to develop. Lowell Narcisse, obviously a very athletic player who was emerging as a passer, but he's now torn ACL twice in high school. Certainly disappointing, but but not a player they're looking to drop. I think they'll look to continue to develop him. I'd be interested to see just how athletic he is coming off those two. And Miles Brennan, a more traditional dropback-style passer um, out, out of Mississippi, hey, another player on their commitment list. It looks like they they have a lot of talent coming in. Heck, they have you know Manning Ederly, a former Texas A&M commitment, and Patrick Queen, a really athletic safety-slash-linebacker type. This is a loaded LSU class with, with a lot of top targets left on the board. And LSU, luckily for the for the Bayou Bengals, they have a fantastic recruiting staff. I mean, it starts with, with with interim head coach at Orgeron on down to Corey Raymond, who is a, a fantastic defensive coach and recruiter. Damian Craig, who has done great things recruiting both at Florida State and at Auburn uh, in, in prior stops. Uh, Bradley's on that staff. That, that staff has so many ace recruiters that, that people would just kill for. And so, as long as LSU presents a, a clear vision for that staff going forward, I think that it'll be able to keep the, the majority of this class together. One of the ways it's looking to do this, and I got some questions from, from readers on Twitter. Very much appreciate that. You can always tweet me at SBN Recruiting about this. But one of the ways that LSU is looking to do this is it actually named a general manager. Uh, type person in Austin Thomas, who was already an assistant athletic director and one one of their real true recruiting aces behind the scenes. I know LSU fans were extremely excited when they got him back uh, from USC a couple years ago. In Austin Thomas, LSU has someone who is not solely invested in the Tigers for this year, like most of that staff potentially, or at least in theory, could be. Look, while I think they're going to keep that staff around, or at least a decent bit of it, or the new head coach, if, if the new head coach is smart, because those are some truly awesome recruiters on that on that group, those coaches can't necessarily say whether they're going to be around next year. They don't necessarily know. And so for that, it makes it difficult to recruit, because how can you present a vision of the future if you yourself don't know that you're going to be a part of that as a head, as an assistant coach or as an interim head coach? In Austin Thomas, they have a guy who is basically charged with being the caretaker of the current roster, End of the recruiting class. So he's going to be able to communicate uh, a message to these recruits about what LSU is looking to do going forward through the process. And, and Austin Thomas is a person that, who I anticipate would be kept on the staff by, by the, whoever the new coach is because of his ability to work with recruits. This is kind of a novel concept. It's It's really nice long-term thinking from a university as opposed to what you see sometimes when you have an interim staff the recruiting sometimes just falls apart because you hear stories about, Hey, I I wasn't contacted. Uh, My, my coach who got fired was my primary contact. I really didn't hear from them or I had questions and and the coaches uh, were honest with me. And the honest answer, unfortunately was I I didn't really, that they didn't know what to tell me. Well, all those things are bad for recruiting. LSU being able to, to put together a clear picture of what's going to happen in recruiting is a really big deal. Now, there are some other recruiting implications from this. Some people ask me, what SEC school other than Alabama do you think could take advantage the most of LSU's uh, potential recruiting trouble here if, if they end up end up having any? I think the answer, because the, the question stipulated other than Alabama, is probably Texas A&M. If you look at it, LSU has uh, one, two, three, four... Five kids in their class from Texas. Certainly, A and M's having a much better year than people thought. It's very possible that the Aggies could sneak in and grab some kids from LSU's class. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Maybe a guy like a Mandy Netterly rejoins the class. Uh, maybe maybe the Aggies are able to get in on uh, Austin DeKuless. Maybe, maybe they they try to make a move on on you know Javon Austin. I don't know. I do know that that A and M's proximity to to LSU. And the fact that a lot of the kids that they recruit are both from those similar areas is a big deal. With Old Miss, I think that normally that would be my answer. However, with the NCAA stuff, I don't know how well they're going to close this year. I also think you have to look at the University of Texas, although not an SEC school. Certainly a school that can come down and, and take advantage of, of some of this trouble. Particularly with the player to watch here in Dylan Moses. Dylan Moses, a Baton Rouge native who's now at the IMG Academy one of the best linebackers in the entire country. He originally was not planning on taking an official visit to LSU because he had seen it so much and because of his relationship with that staff. And most people thought he would actually end up signing with LSU. However, maybe that could change now. Maybe he'll take an official visit to LSU. Maybe he'll have renewed interest in in Texas. Uh, Texas is having kind of an up-and-down year. They did beat Notre Dame for whatever that's worth. Cal, of course, not not as good of a, a, a loss for, for Texas after uh, after watching that ball game. Certainly a little, little bit of a step back. But I, I think it's very interesting to see what happens with Dylan Moses in, in Texas, with, with Austin Dacoulas, with Jamon Austin. But overall, LSU is still going to be an incredible recruiting job. For one, that is, the, that is a very loaded state. They consistently produce about 15 four- and five-star recruits per year the vast majority of them who will sign with LSU if LSU wants them. Because they all grow up LSU fans in that state, there is no actual in-state competition for kids in Louisiana that LSU wants. Not Tulane, not Lafayette, not Monroe, not Tech, none of those schools. It, it, it's, they actually have a pretty friendly relationship between all of them because they, they basically never fight over kids. The, the quality of kids they sign is, is vastly different. So all the competition is out of state. And it's just tough, very tough to pull that those kids out of state. It's a really unique culture down there. It's one that LSU understands. It's one that I'm sure the new staff will understand as well. So when you have that, when you have a very talented state and you're completely isolated within that state and you have places like Mobile and Houston three or four hours away by car, that's a tremendous recruiting advantage for, for LSU. And aside from the money and the facilities and the tradition, and the conference, the recruiting thing is really why you take that job and go into that pressure cooker if you're a head coach. I mean, it's the ability to get as much talent as anybody in the country. I I, I know Nick Saban spoke glowingly about the ability to get talent at LSU. I think everybody knows it. It's it's also just a much tougher state for out-of-state schools to recruit than, say, a a Florida uh, or or a Georgia because of, of the way it's laid out and because of, of the very much state pride that the kids have in that state. In fact, I think the only state, only school that has consistently gone into LSU and and carried its own weight against the Tigers for kids that LSU actually wanted over less Miles tenure has been Alabama. Other than that, it's pretty much just been LSU. A M will occasionally steal a few kids, but for the most part, it's LSU, maybe Alabama or or, or nothing. The next big recruiting thing of the weekend was the Florida-Tennessee game. Florida had won 11 straight versus Tennessee, which means that most top recruits were about six years old. Uh, the last time Tennessee took down the Gators, and really they hadn't grown up with knowing anything else but Florida dominating Tennessee. Stephen Godfrey, my colleague at estimation I looked at this piece late last week, and, and we titled it, How Must Win Is This Florida Game for Tennessee's Bush Jones? Honestly, we came to the conclusion it's it's pretty must-win. And we looked at it to see, look, are the expectations on Butch Jones really fair? It's not like Tennessee has a top-10 roster nationally. They, they've recruited much better under Butch Jones than they did under Derek Dooley and Lane Kiffin. And, yes, he had a bunch of mess to take over when he grabbed that job because, you know, going from Fulmer, Kiffin, Dooley, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, the amount of roster attrition for that team was was quite a bit. And, and it was almost a, a sanction level roster that he took over. And so he, he slowly built Tennessee back up. And yes, Butch Jones has lost some games in some just really, really poor coach ways, especially at the end of games. And he's been out coached and they've not done a great job developing quarterback for the most part. But if you look at this, Butch Jones has pretty much won every game that he was expected to win, and lost every game that he was expected to lose. I actually pulled his record, uh, and, and in the piece I argued, I said, "Look, Butch Jones is 21 and 3 as a favorite, and just 3 and 12 as an underdog at Tennessee. He's basically losing the games that Vegas expects him to lose and winning the games that Vegas expects him to win. If the expectations of his fan base are really that that far out of whack with, with Vegas." That's the fans' problem. That's not really Butch Jones' problem. And I can't believe I'm defending Butch Jones on this podcast. However, Stephen Godford brought up a really good point. He said, look, the problem is he doesn't have really any signature win. They, they beat South Carolina in 2013. Fine. Uh, that South Carolina team ended up not being all that great. Uh, they have 11 straight losses to Florida before this weekend, nine to Alabama, and five to Georgia until they finally beat Georgia last year as Georgia suffered a whole bunch of injuries in that game. When Tennessee got down 21 to nothing, I was golfing, so I wasn't watching it live until the second half. I kind of thought, huh, well, they're probably going to have to make a change because maybe you can lose this game despite the fact that it's kind of must-win. But if you lose this game like this, 21 nothing, you'll probably also get beat three, four more times this year. And then that progress that, that you've been steadily showing will, will finally come to a halt or even backslide a little bit. But a funny thing happened. Tennessee just physically whipped Florida in the second half. I I, I did get to watch the second half of this game. Josh Dobbs actually completed some throws. Tennessee effectively used him as a runner as well. Uh, And going back and watching the first half, since it was recorded, Tennessee actually wasn't that much worse in the first half than Florida. Uh, They just kind of had some some weird breaks with, with, with balls tipping off, off receivers' hands that maybe could have been completed for long passes. It was almost as if Tennessee was just trying too hard in that game. I don't know that I fully trust Tennessee now, uh, given that they they did take you know a ton of fumbles to, to have to beat Virginia Tech, and, and Appalachian State took them to overtime. And Ohio made them look not all that great, but – this is still probably the the biggest win of Butch Jones Butch Jones's tenure. I did love how he took a time out there to celebrate at the end to, to let all the fans just just soak it all in, and it could help Tennessee's recruiting, which right now is okay, but it's not it's not amazing. And I do think that a lot of teams out there are are telling kids, hey, you know, is Tennessee really going to develop you? Tennessee this year. They have 25 commitments already, which is a huge number, and that's a great number of players. However, only four of them are rated four stars or better. That's a pretty poor ratio. I mean, you're, you're talking about under 20% for the Vols. That's not going to get it done. National champions are are pretty much all, I mean, they're all over 50 in the last decade, and most of them are in more of that 60 to, to, to low 70s range. Under 20%, not, not going to get it done. Tennessee seems to have loaded up on a lot of players who maybe it thinks are really good and the rest of college football doesn't think are quite as good as Tennessee thinks. Now, some of them are, are clearly studs in the Tennessee class, but other ones, maybe not so much. It'll be interesting to see down the stretch how Tennessee deals with this. You know, Did they take all of these kids to sort of... Uh, insulate themselves from criticism uh, about where the program was in case they didn't win games this year, or do they really believe in all these kids? I, I, I'd be interested to see that. They do have some studs already committed, though. I mean, Malik Gray is one of the best safeties you'll, you'll see in the country. They beat out Ole Miss for, for Ty Chandler. Uh, Eric Crosby is a very talented defensive tackle out of Ocean Lakes. C.J. Cotman is a, an athletic player. Out of Clearwater, I think he's probably more of a corner than a running back. I know he thought he was a running back slash receiver earlier in, in his career. And they're still in on, on a number of, of top players. I think Tennessee has an actual chance to make a move in the ratings, and that might mean pushing out some kids in sort of the, the more bottom half of their class who, who may not end up sticking with them as they, they recruit over and sign some more talented players. But one thing I noticed here in the state of Tennessee – the Volunteers are not doing quite as well as you might think. They lost T. Higgins to Clemson. Now, granted, Higgins hasn't actually signed yet, but by all indications, he's going to stick with the Tigers. That, that's arguably the number one receiver in the country, uh, a, a five-star receiver who, look, Tennessee claims to be receiver year, or, or excuse me, receiver you. So does Clemson. And it looks like Clemson's winning this this thing right now uh, because they also have Am- Amari Rodgers who is a Tennessee legacy. And where's Amari Rogers going? Clemson, not Tennessee, out of Knoxville Catholic. I certainly think that Tennessee would have liked to have those two players. Um, Jacoby Stevens going to LSU is understandable because he has a, a bunch of uh, Louisiana ties. I, I spoke of that earlier in the podcast, and Tennessee's actually doing pretty well at safety. Uh, running back Cordarian Richardson go, going to Clemson, and another four-star out of the state of Tennessee, uh, out of Memphis. You know, Trey Smith, out of Jackson, is a a five-star offensive tackle who I do believe Tennessee will sign. So ultimately, I think there's a good chance Tennessee will end up with, with three of the top seven players in the state. Clemson will get three of the top seven. And I'm interested to see what will happen with Jacob Phillips. Jacob Phillips is a player out of Nashville, East Magnet, Tennessee didn't offer him right away, and they really didn't push for him. Now you hear rumblings that that they're trying to to maybe get back in for him. Is he more of an end, more more of a bigger linebacker? Uh, Oklahoma's in on him. Ole Miss, Alabama, obviously Tennessee as well. That's a player who I think oh Tennessee it can be argued should have done a better job identifying early within that state, but ultimately you're not gonna you're not gonna get everybody. In the state and, and occasionally you will you will have misses within your own state um, but there's there's ten four and five star kids in Tennessee this year according to the rankings right now. if you're if you're Tennessee I think you need to be signing at least half of those guys. They have a chance to if they can get Smith and Phillips more likely they'll probably just end up with four but this win definitely could help Tennessee and what could really help Tennessee even more down the stretch? Is if it goes two and one against the the trio of Alabama, Texas A and M, and Georgia, those are three games coming up. Georgia's this weekend. They have to go to Texas A and M, which is not going to be an easy battle because A and M looks very much revived this year, and Alabama is, is all, obviously looks really good. Seven and one almost certainly wins the SEC East. Six and two probably wins the SEC East because they already have the tiebreaker over Florida. After a while, it becomes really important to show kids tangible progress on the field. You have to be able to say, hey, you know what we're going to do with all this talent we signed? We're going to win games. We're going to win our division. We're going to go to the SEC title game. Uh, We're going to put kids into the NFL. Those are things that become more important as the years for a staff wears on. Initially, you have the ability to sell playing time quite a bit, which, as the roster fills up, that kind of decreases, at least across the board. Certainly, you can still sell playing time at some positions. I also dug up some really good stats on Phil Fulmer, a coach who Tennessee fans absolutely love and, and brought in their only national championship uh, for a lot of Tennessee fans' lifetimes back in 1998. Did you know that Phil Fulmer was only 5-12 and against Florida? He went 0 and 4 against Urban Meyer, 3 and 7 against Steve Spurrier, and 2 and 1 against Ron Zook. He did have a winning record against Georgia, 11 and 6, but he was just 3 and 5 against Mark Richt. The SEC East's best coaches during Phil Fulmer's time pretty much all owned him. Now he did go 8 and 2 against Alabama coaches Mike DeBose, Dennis Franchione, Mike Shula, but 2, 4 and 1 combined against Gene Stallings and Nick Saban. So. If you're scoring at home, that's a combined record of 8, 20, and 1. 8, 20, and 1. God, under thirty percent against Meyer, Spurrier, Florida, Rick, Stallings, and Saban at Alabama. It's actually even worse if you throw in uh, Saban at LSU, but for the sake of the article, I didn't because they're not annual rivals. The The pressure that, that Butch Jones faces to elevate Tennessee back to where it was under Phil Fulmer doesn't necessarily match up with the factual recollection of what Tennessee was under Phil Fulmer. They were a good team. They were occasionally a great team, but they still lost consistently to the better coaches in that league. They, they were they were never for long stretches better than those other league programs. Uh, and that's something I, th- I think Tennessee fans should probably remember. Um, Butch Jones – is doing a pretty good job relative to, I think, what are reasonable expectations of Tennessee. And I'll be interested to see how he finishes out out the year. Now time for some reader questions or some listener questions, I should say. This is from Quacking Tiger, who does some work with Shaking the Southland, obviously, our our fine Clemson website. How much impact does college game day or high-profile games have on recruiting? Well, I very much appreciate the question. And... It's probably being asked because Clemson is hosting Louisville this weekend with college game day, a game that will go a long way to deciding the ACC Atlantic race. If if Louisville wins it, it's basically over. If Clemson wins it, uh, then Clemson is probably in the driver's seat heading into a game in Tallahassee in late October. It's tough to say exactly how much they they matter. For instance, some recruits are going to see it on TV. I don't know how many recruits actually watch college game day. On a Saturday morning, my, my guess is that most of them actually don't watch College Game Day all that much. It's up to the schools, therefore, to send clips and social media things to the kids showing what cool stuff happened on College Game Day. Now, if those kids are visiting on campus, they may actually walk over there and see some of the College Game Day festivities. That's certainly a cool thing because kids understand what College Game Day is and they understand... Hey, college game day comes to your campus if it's a real big game, and you want to be playing in big games. High-profile games definitely impact recruiting, though, because kids get to campus, and they feel that energy, and they feel they they understand kind of what the the, the gravity of the game really means for for, for the program. They, they they sense the the passion of the fans. They see all all the hoopla and, and the TV trucks and and all that stuff. They definitely have a, a big impact now. There's a downside, and that's a lot of times with the bigger games, the coaches are not going to get to spend quite as much time with recruits if they're there on a visit as they would in perhaps more of a a laid-back game atmosphere. But I would still rather have, if I was a coach, I'd rather have recruits if they had to come in for a game. I'd rather have them there for a big game as opposed to a sleepy noon game where where my stadium is, is only three quarters full and it's not real exciting and people don't have that passion. Next listener question here concerns, are any five-star recruits leaning to the group of five schools like like defensive tackle Ed Oliver did last year when he went to Houston? The answer this year, unfortunately, for the group of five fans is no. It doesn't look like it. Um, just quickly going down the list of uncommitted five-star recruits. Uh, Foster Sorrell, no. Marvin Wilson, no. Dylan Moses, no. Jeffrey Okuda, No. Cam Akers, no, Baron Browning, no, Darnay Holmes, no, Donovan Peoples-Jones, no, Joseph Lewis, no, Trey Smith, no, Walker Little, no, Austin Jackson, no, Uh, and Isaiah Wilson, also a no. So that, no, unfortunately, not not this year. Now, I do still believe that Houston will have another tremendous class, uh, provided that Tom Herman and, and his staff stick around. Now. I wasn't actually directly asked this, but I'm going to use it as a segue to talk about, about Tom Herman, and we just spoke about the the LSU job. Clearly, people think that the top two targets for LSU are going to be Tom Herman at Houston and Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. But let me throw another, another thing into this scenario. USC is an absolute mess right now. You have players transferring out or looking to transfer, according to some of the rumors, left and right. They just lost another game that was botched by Coach Clay Hilton against Utah, after getting blown out against Alabama and really not being all that competitive against Stanford. USC, I wrote this summer that they needed to have a short leash with Clay Hilton because he, you know, he, he was a USC guy who, who they already knew. He should have known the players and, and hit the ground running uh, this year in order to prove that, that he really belonged and he was that level of coach. I. I I didn't hate the hire at the time, although I, I certainly agree with people who say it's probably not a great idea to hire another Pete Carroll tree type person. You need to have a new message in there that gets across in a different way. USC, uh, they could go six and six. And six and six, I know it's only Hilton's first year, but that, that's a fireable thing. Do you know who's actually a California guy, despite the fact that most of his career has been spent in Texas? That's right. It's Tom Herman. Tom Herman, who would bring a new style of offense to USC, a, a very different direction for the program. He's a great recruiter. Uh, would I mean, USC is the, the program with the most resources west of the Rockies, and we've seen what it looks like when it's humming at full speed, like it was under Pete Carroll. If, if that job opens, i got to think that they go after Tom Herman as well, and then you could have an LSU versus USC potential battle for Tom Herman. That would probably hurt Houston, as would uh, some word today from multiple outlets reporting that perhaps Oklahoma no longer supports Big 12 expansion. If Houston doesn't get into the Big 12, part of the vision that it's selling recruits that, hey, the the Big 12 wants us and uh, we're, we're certainly on the path to joining a power conference. Well, that could go away. And if that goes away, I really have a hard time seeing Tom Herman stick around there and if he doesn't stick around there, Houston's recruiting is probably just going to be a little bit of a, a just a very brief flash in the pan as opposed to something it, it can sustain. So they really do need to get to the Big 12 and keep Tom Herman if they want to keep building this thing. Uh, I I don't think getting somebody like like a Danner Holgerson or, uh, well, maybe a coach of that type is going to be able to bring – bring Houston back to, to what they should be So very interested to see what happens with, with Tom Herman whether USC opens that that's going to be that's one of the best jobs in the country as is LSU. Uh, also interested to see what happens at, at Notre Dame off to a terrible one and three start I mean blown out uh, at least initially but by, by, until they had a little bit of comeback against Michigan State losing to a Texas team that now doesn't look nearly as good as it did in week one. And, and most humiliating of all, losing to Duke at home. I think there's been some, some failures of Notre Dame recruiting at the defensive end position and also at the safety position, especially when you combine it with some of the dismissals and injuries that that team has had. It exposed a, a lack of depth at some spots for the Irish. Uh, you know, losing Sean Crawford, losing Max Redfield, not signing enough safeties in, in, in the uh, uh, 2014 and 2015 classes. They only have one sack on the year. It's just not a not a good situation up there in South Bend. You know, could could that job open? Could Brian Kelly, who as as we know interviewed with the Eagles some years back, uh, could he be looking at, at the NFL? Could he be looking to, to get out of, out of South Bend? That's certainly a pressure cooker there. And uh, despite the fact that I think he's done a very good job overall at Notre Dame, this is something that you really have to to kind of look at and say, is this something I, I want to be long-term? Can I sustain this there? Or are there some uh, systemic obstacles that, that I can't overcome in South Bend to get where the fan base thinks I, sh- I should have this program? Now, certainly the fans are absolutely correct to think that he should beat Michigan State at home and, he, and, and Notre Dame should never under any circumstances lose to Duke. That was pretty bad, but – I'm also interested to see what happens with Notre Dame. So uh, four programs talked about today for the most part here, LSU, USC, Tennessee, and Notre Dame. Got another listener question here. How many recruits will Ohio State actually take at defensive back? They already have four commitments, and they have Okuda, McKinney, Holmes, Gibbs, and Bell all interested. Well, it's a great question, and to answer that, I actually consulted with our friends at Land Grant Holy Land, our excellent Ohio State site run by Luke Zimmerman and Matt Brown. And, uh, and the crew over there feels that Ohio State is probably only going to take one more unless something were to happen uh, with, with, with Sean Wade, then perhaps two more. Jeffrey Okuda uh, out, of, out of Texas, who is a target of a number of elite schools, originally from New Jersey, so not a true Texan. Uh, is the top recruit on Ohio State's board at the defensive back position who's not yet committed. Could play corner, could play safety. I know he was really good at the Rivals Challenge as a corner. I thought he was better at the opening when I saw him. I didn't really love his work at corner when I saw him at the either Dallas or Houston Regional. I kind of forget, forget which one that was. They They all kind of run together after a certain point. Ohio State right now with the number one football recruiting class in the nation, trying to hold off Alabama. Uh, 17 commitments. 16 of the 17 are rated four stars or five stars, including six five stars. Just a, a tremendous class for them. In fact, the only kid in Ohio State's recruiting class who is not rated as a four-star player, a kicker. And kickers are basically never rated that way. So every position player on this recruiting class is four or five stars. I mean, Five-star offensive tackle, Josh Myers. Five-star guard, Wyatt Davis. Five-star receiver, Travon Grimes. Five-star corner, Sean Wade, who they're trying to hold on to. Obviously, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, all trying to get in there for Sean Wade. Five-star defensive end, Chase Young. Five-star receiver, who I don't necessarily think should be a five-star, but I still think he's an elite player. Uh, Tijon Lindsey. Just a, a embarrassment of riches for, for Ohio State under Urban Meyer. And uh, like I wrote about last week, it's Saban and Meyer, Meyer and Saban at the top of pretty much every list. In the polls, on a recruiting trail, career national championships among active coaches. They are just basically intertwined. They're connected all, all the way back from the days w- in which they, they they faced each other when Saban was at Bama and, and Meyer was at, was at Florida. So a really interesting battle to watch down the stretch. I think Ohio State can hold on uh, as long as they take enough kids. Alabama seems to take – you 28 kids every year. Our final listener question uh, comes to us from Oklahoma. What are Oklahoma's chances with its top targets down the line? What impact does this season have? Now, this is a, a narrative we need to unpack on Oklahoma because I feel like some of the national media is finally catching on to what I've been saying for quite a while, which is that Oklahoma really doesn't have enough elite talent on its roster. The problem isn't it's current recruiting. It's 15 and 16 classes were actually really good. The problem is the lack of talented upperclassmen. It's 2012 and 2013 classes were just not all that talented overall. Uh, Well below the blue chip standard nationally. Ohio State this year is doing a really, excuse me, Oklahoma this year is doing a really good job of recruiting. They have a number of top players. Their top three three players in the class are all from, from the state of Texas. Therese Robinson, Robert Barnes, Jalen Rager, all really good players. And it looks like Oklahoma, who has a top five class right now, is on pace to really get back into that national conversation. As long as they can put together, they keep their recruiting class and probably put together one more, I think that roster will officially be back. But people right now are being very reactionary because they don't realize that the problems of Oklahoma's roster are really not due to, to recruiting over the last two years, but over years three and four previous. Oklahoma's doing a really good job. I like a lot of the players in their class. The problem though is, is the season has is, is not, not started very well. They have no momentum. They lost in, in bad form to Houston. They looked really bad against Ohio State as Ohio State just just pushed them around all day. They made that Ohio State game a big time recruiting weekend, and with with, with the lightning delay and with the ass whooping that that uh, that Ohio State put on them, that probably doesn't leave a great taste in, in some of these these uh, these players' mouths. I know Marvin Wilson uh, said some things to to Ohio State sites about how impressed he was with Ohio State, despite the fact that you know he was visiting Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know that there are a whole lot of super elite targets that Oklahoma looks real great with right now. They thought they had a good shot with Jeffrey Okuda, but I I really believe he's going to Ohio State. And I I think that the Ohio State win over Oklahoma could have perhaps sewn him up to the Buckeyes. They're still very much in it with Anthony Hines, who is a a four-star linebacker out of Plano East. I have no idea what what Kalevan Chasen's going to do, who's a a Houston pass rusher. Uh, Other than that, though, I'm not sure that Oklahoma has a great shot with with that many more top players. Now, they already have 19 commitments in the class, so luckily for them, they actually don't need to to add that many more numbers. Jacob Phillips, who we mentioned earlier in the podcast, out of Nashville, is is another top target for the Sooners. they're doing a pretty good job though, despite the, the fact that the season's not going the way they want it. What they have to avoid is a four or five loss campaign. They they can't go losing to let's say three of TCU, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Like they, I think Oklahoma can afford one more loss in conference before it starts to have its recruiting class. Take a, take a real hit as opposed to not continuing to progress forward. Instead, if they lose two more games, I, I think that they're actually going to have to backtrack a little bit, and they'll probably start to lose some kids. That's just the way it goes. Win-loss is not the most important thing to kids, but they do pay attention to it some. And to see Oklahoma, a, a staff that certainly was confident in his team and, and, and the media was very confident, or much of the media was in Oklahoma before the year to see them just fall on their face like this and just be not competitive in two big games to open the year is uh, got to be discouraging. they got to get things turned around real quickly in Norman uh, because if they do, they can take advantage of, of a Texas team that looks like it's continuing to struggle some and a TCU that maybe is not quite as elite as many, including myself, thought they could be this year. A uh, Baylor program on the way down. Oklahoma State, which has already lost at home to Central Michigan. There's players to be had. Oklahoma just turned turn it around. Very much appreciate all the questions I get from you all every week. Uh, the podcast is now on iTunes. You can just search for College Ball Recruiting Podcast and, and hit us up there. If you have any topics you want us to discuss, always shoot shoot me a, a tweet. That's at SBNRecruiting or an email, bud.elliot at SBNation.com. Be happy to answer them and uh, hopefully pick up some more, more listeners on this podcast and keep this thing rolling. For SB Nation, this has been Buddy Elliott. Thanks for listening.